0: Well, once again, welcome to RUF, welcome to Large Group. Um, like I said, my name is Jonathan, I'm the campus pastor here. <clears throat> You're going to have to put up with a little bit of my uh, nasal voice tonight. I'm fighting a cold, so um, I appreciate your gr- grace and tolerance with that. Um, this is high. Oop, that's low. Um, so again, welcome, I'm glad you all are here. Um, Thanks to our music team for playing tonight. That was really, really good. That Psalm 130 song, that last one we sang, is probably my favorite song because it's, for me, it's so honest. Um, really speaks to where I am. Um, yeah. Once again, before um, before we get started, I, again, I want to just say something quick about summer. Com- I mean, fall conference. Um, It's going to be a great time. I really encourage you to be there. The speaker is actually an NMSU grad. Um, He's a good friend of mine, and so uh, he will give lots of shout-outs to NMSU. And um, so uh, there are going to be two computers in the back, like I said, to sign up, so I encourage you to sign up. Um, And I just want to talk real quick about the financial thing. Um, I'll just say, like, I hate to admit that uh, when I'm a needy person, like, I hate admitting that. So, like, this week, I've been super sick. My wife has been feeling bad with, um, because she's pregnant, and so we've both been like needy, and food has been an issue because I haven't been able to cook. And so there's this woman in our church who said, let me make a meal for you guys. And it took everything within me not to be like, no, we're okay. We'll be fine. When in all honesty, we weren't going to be fine. <laughs> like, it was not, we were not going to eat well. And, and um, it, it, to receive her love, to accept the grace from her in the form of a meal and not to feel the need that I need to earn it, not to feel the need that I need to do something to get it. Just to receive that grace, that's hard. Um, and so I understand for some of you to come and say like, hey, I need help paying for a fall conference. That can be really hard and embarrassing. Well, just know that there are people who love RUF and don't know they know you, that know you, but they love you and they want you to be able to come. So I encourage you um receive that grace as hard as it can be, as challenging as it can be. um, There's no need to be ashamed of that because look, here's the deal. The core of the gospel is you're not okay. We're all desperately in need. The core of the gospel is that we all are desperately in need spiritually and then emotionally and socially and physically and all these different ways and that God comes close to you and says, I love you. Let's start putting this back together. So let us love you in that way. Um, so receive that gospel, um, receive that grace of even going to fall conference. So um, talk to me, sign up, we can make it happen. So that's my, that's my spiel for that. Um, so tonight we're going to continue with our, uh, with our sermon series that, we're been, that we've been working through. This is week four, and we've been talking about joy. We've been talking about how do we keep real joy? How do we get real joy? And again, I've said over and over again, College is a place where joy can be really elusive. It can be a place where it's really hard in the midst of loneliness and pressure and feeling like you don't measure up and the ups and downs of life to like get real, sustainable, lasting joy. That's hard. That's hard work. Um, and so we've been looking through uh, this book in the Bible called Philippians and looking at what what does it have to say back in 2,000 years ago, and what does it have to say to us today about our joy when life feels really abusive and cruel and joyless? And so what I want us to do tonight is I want us to think about the roots of joy. What is the thing that supports and undergirds and, and forms the foundation for joy? And for this, I want to I put a, like an image in front of your brain. Um, so I do a lot of cycling. If you, some, if you know me, you know that I ride my bike a lot. And so this last week, I was riding up in Dripping Springs. I was riding up the road to Dripping Springs. And as you go up the road, there's, you know, there's these arroyos uh, where the water, when it rains, the water comes and flash floods out. And there's these spots along the arroyos where you can tell, we had a lot of rain last couple of weeks, where the water had sort of like cut through a couple of places where there were bushes and it had pulled all the dirt out and there was no dirt underneath. And so there's this bush and then this little like cage or nest of roots underneath it. And there's nothing, you know, the dirt's all gone and i was thinking about that i was like wow life life can sort of be like that flash flood like you're just going along and all of a sudden bam something just nails you and it pulls everything out from underneath you that just everything that you feel like supports you is gone and you're left just with this roots just kind of like uh, i don't know what to do and it's tough right and if that hasn't happened to you this semester or in this your time in college you know it will because it's happened to you at some point. And if it hasn't happened to you at all, you live a very charmed life. And I'm telling you, your time is coming. It's going to come. Something is going to hit you and it's going to pull the rug underneath out from underneath you. And you're just going to be left going, where, do I, where are my roots? What can sustain me when that flash flood hits? In those turbulent moments when the water surges, what keeps you anchored? What keeps you rooted? What keeps you joyful? And, and tonight I want us to see that the best roots, the only roots in the midst of that flash flood is in Jesus Christ. The only, root for, the only thing that can give us joy is in Jesus Christ. So I'll read our text and we'll look and see what it has to say to us. So this is, um, this is uh, Paul's letter to the Philippian church. We're going to start in the middle of verse 18. This is God's word. Yes, and I will rejoice... because of my coming to see you again. Let me pray for us quickly. Father in heaven, thanks for this time that we can gather and worship you, um, that we can hear your word, that we can fellowship together. I pray that this would not be just another event that we do uh, this week, but that it would be a time where we can actually be fed, where we can uh, sink our roots a little deeper into the sure anchor for our souls, which is Jesus Christ. I pray that your spirit would speak through me and that you would that you would turn us more and more into Jesus even be even through this and it's in Jesus name that we pray amen so paul starts off and he says again he says he, we've seen this already he says i will rejoice i will rejoice and so we've seen a couple of times he just says over and over again i will rejoice and if you know this if you know the context of this book you know that paul's in prison as he writes this he's in prison and not and he's he's awaiting trial And as you can see in here, as we've read, he's sort of on trial. I mean, he's on trial, and and if he gets convicted, he could die. Like, he's facing the capital punishment. And so in the midst of that, he's saying, I will rejoice. I will rejoice. And again, we're asking again, how can he rejoice in this? How can he rejoice that he's possibly facing a death penalty? Well, he tells us, he starts to tell us why he will rejoice. And he says in verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. This will turn out for my deliverance. So look, look at what he says. He says he fully expects that he will be delivered. And that word delivered, that's a special word. It actually, it, it actually the, uh, Another way of translating is actually saved. He will be saved even because of his prison sentence, even because even if he dies, he knows he'll be saved. So he's in a sense saying, I might die, I might not die, but either way, I'm going to be saved. Either way, if I'm convicted or not, I'll be saved. And not only that, he's great confidence and joyful in that. Look in verse 20. He says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always Christ will be honored in my body. this doesn 't sound like someone I tell you what if if i was if I was in prison and I was possibly going to be executed i don 't think I would say things like eager expectation or full courage or, or or not ashamed. I think I would be terrified at least complaining at, at, I, mean, at I mean i mean just those would not be the words that I would be saying, and yet here he is saying he has eager expectation, and again that word. In Greek, it's a rare word and it, it, it doesn't mean this eager expectation. It's not, it doesn't mean like possibility. It doesn't mean like potential desire, like when you expect something. It means confidence or full assurance. Confidence or full assurance. Here's the difference. You could say, here's one way of saying it. You say, I have, I, I, I have eager expectation that the Aggies will win the football game against UNM. I doubt it. <laughs> But I have eager expectation. I hope it will happen. Or, try this one on for a I eagerly expect and I'm confident that my wife will have a baby in March. That's going to happen, B- barring some emergency or something that goes wrong. That is going to happen. Do you see the difference there? There's this difference between, like, I kind of hope this is what happens, but it might not happen, versus this is what's going to happen. I'm confident, I'm sure, I'm positive that this is what's going to happen. He says, I won't be ashamed, even if they convict me of death, or if they convict me to death. I'm confident, I'm sure I won't be ashamed. I eagerly expect that I will not be ashamed. Paul is so sure, he's so confident that nothing, that nothing, not even death, can rob him of his joy. None of us are facing that, even that, that level of trauma tonight, and yet, like a death threat, and yet, and yet, we feel life feels so tumultuous. My joy gets robbed. How do we get that kind of joy? Well, this brings us to the, one of the most amazing verses in the whole Bible. This could be a motto verse for our life. Look at verse 21. He says, For me... Okay, so he's letting us in on how he does this. He says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, what does that actually mean? What does he actually mean when he says that? It means this. It means that a man who could possibly be on death row, who could be literally killed, believes with unfaltering confidence, unfaltering confidence that nothing bad can happen to him. Nothing actually bad can happen to him. So let's Let's break that down. What does he mean? What does it mean? So to live is Christ. To live is Christ. Well, that means that if he lives, he gets to live for Christ. He gets to become more like Christ. He gets to serve Christ. He gets to glorify Christ. That if he lives, if he continues living, it's let's say they they, they clear him of charges and they let him go. If he continues living, that means Paul has the honor of being able to have his own. Only focus and passion is the thing that consumes him day and night. The goal of being like Christ, of giving Christ glory, of telling others about Christ, of encouraging others in their faith in Christ. Christ all over the place. He says, for me, it basically, if I live, it boils down to Christ. If I live, it boils down to making Christ beautiful, telling other people about Jesus. That is what animates me day in, day out. So if I live, I get to do that. And like we talked about two weeks ago, that going out, that gospel proclamation, that gives him joy. Life for Paul means the opportunity to live totally, completely sold out for the Christian cause. And he explains further in verse 22. He says, if I live in the flesh, it means fruitful labor for me. It means fruitful labor for me. That means he can encourage to, he can continue to encourage, to love, to support not just the Philippian church church, but all the churches that he's helped start, all the churches that he has had a role and an impact in. He can continue that work. But not just if he lives in Christ, he says, But if I die, I gain. But to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Which means that if he dies, he still gets joy. He still gets the completion of getting to be with Christ. He gains perfection. He gains the final community with Christ. He gains relief from all his trials. He gains heaven. He gains glory. He gains Christ. Either way, do you see what he's saying? Either way, I get Christ, and that gives me joy. That gives him joy. And he says, in some ways, he's like, I'd rather die because that's amazing. That's, what I, that's, the, that's the goals that we're pressing to, is to be with Christ. So how do I, I was thinking like, how do I illustrate this? How do we show that to live is Christ, to die is gain? And I was thinking about it. So I, when I was growing up, I worked for 14 summers at a, a wholesale plant nursery in Colorado. Um, and so every summer I would go back and work at this nursery. And I love this nursery. It's like, I mean, if you, if you, again, if you get to know me, I bring this nursery up all the time because it was such a special place for me. It was hard, hard work. We worked, our, I mean, we worked our backs off. It was hard work, but we loved it. I got to drive a tractor. We got to grow beautiful flowers, built greenhouses. So I loved the work. It was hard work, but it was great work. But then when the work was over, at the end of the day, we would go swimming in the irrigation pond, or we'd have barbecues, or we'd just lie around and talk. And it was awesome. Either way, either working was great fun or not working was great fun. And so that's what Paul's getting at. He says, if I, get, if, I, if I live, then I get to do this fruitful, great work, and I love that work. Or, if I don't live, I die. Then I just get to go rest forever. Then I gain from that. To live is fruitful labor, but to die is eternal rest, and both are joyful. And so that makes Christian joy, it makes, this, is, this is important, This makes Christian joy and Christian hope so unique and special because Christian hope is a sure, expectant, confident hope, not that that, that, that I can't lose. That's what Paul is saying here. He says, I can't lose. It's, It's the difference between I hope the Aggies win and I know my wife will have a baby. Christian hope doesn't say this might happen. I hope it happens. Christian hope says this will happen. I can't lose. Because of our union with Christ, we can't lose. God will return to deliver us. It is my eager expectation and hope that I can't be ashamed. I won't be ashamed. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you're a Christian, you can't lose? No matter what happens in your day, in your life, if you're weak, you can't lose. Do you believe that as a Christian, whether you live, whether you die, whether you suffer, whether you thrive, no matter if life is easy or life is hard, you cannot lose because God loves you and because he is going to bring you into conformity with Christ, no matter what crap you've been through, it can't last. I said this last week. I said it the week before. I'll say it again. Christianity means, the gospel means that the bad things cannot last the good things can't be taken away and the best is yet to come. The bad things cannot last. The good things can't be taken away and the best is yet to come. That's assurance. That's the eager expectation of the gospel. And so we see here, what I hope you see here is this is the beginning of these roots of joy. Paul is joyful because that no matter what happens to him whether he's killed for his faith or whether he lives, he can't lose. If he lives, he gets to preach the gospel. And serve the church, which is great. He loves that. If he dies, he joins Christ. The bad things can't last, the good things can't be taken away, and the best is yet to come. If that's true, then truly to live is Christ and to die is gain. Nothing can touch us. We are invincible. That's why Paul tells us in Romans 8 we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors because of Christ Jesus. And I think, <clears throat> we can talk about this later. I'd let, if you disagree with me, come up and talk with me not, yeah, tonight or later. I, I think that only Christianity can offer this. That's sort of a bold statement. But I think Chris—I don't think any other faith system that I know of, and I've done a decent amount of study, can offer this. Now, some, some would say that, if, that this is life is all you have. This, this material world is all that you have, and so you kind of have to live it up now. You enjoy what you can. Um, You get what you can, maybe you try to help others a bit, but then you die and you get eaten by worms. That's life. That's life, and so live it up now. But when it's done, you're done. There's no real greater purpose other than what you make of it. And then then maybe other systems, and that would be like secularism. That would be like, there is no God, we just live and die. Um, others would say that maybe the goal and purpose is to transcend, is to escape, is to get away from this physical world, and to just, and when we die, is to actually become a, like kind of lose ourselves into this being, this greater being, and that would be something like Buddhism or Islam or something like that. And but Christianity says here, Christianity is, is unique in that it says we can have meaning and purpose right now in life to live as Christ, and when we die. There's actually something afterwards. There's something meaningful and purposeful and joyful afterwards. To die as gain. I don't know any other thought system. I don't know any other faith system that offers that. Not only does it just offer that, not only does that make you feel better, I think it's actually true. I think it's actually true that to live is Christ and to die is gain. But that's not where Paul stops. In fact, um, he, doesn't, he doesn't just leave us, leave us there. He doesn't just leave us like, okay, great, to live is Christ to die is gain. He pushes us further, and actually we're getting to a transition point in this letter. And up until now, he's been giving us a bunch of theology. He's been telling us about the gospel, about joy, and now he's starting to say, okay, if this is true, how do our lives start to reflect it? How do our lives begin to reflect it? And, and um, if Jesus Christ is the, hope of, is the source of hope and joy, this source of unshakable, rooted joy, then, then so what? How do our lives look different? So he starts to tell us this in verse 24. He says, But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. What he's saying here is he says, Yeah, I can't lose. To live is Christ to die is gain. But it's actually better for you, Philippian church. It's better for you if I live. Because if I live, I actually I actually get to to be a part of, to join in your progress and your joy of faith. And that, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) sorry, that signals something really important for you and for me. It signals something, it's this. This tells us that we are not on earth for our own individual pleasure or happiness. We are not on earth for our own individual pleasure and happiness. We are alive on earth to seek the progress and the joy of faith of those around us. He comes back again. That's what what he means by the fruitful labor. The fruitful labor. Fruitful labor means that the, the Christian community around us, in your church, in your RUF, or something like that, it's becoming a more caring, a more kind, loving faithful, merciful, just community because of the effect that I have on it, because of the effect that you have on that community. Now, I'm going to say something here. This feels really counterintuitive to where we are right now in our world today, but it's true. It's this. The greatest joy that you will experience in your life will be from seeking others' joy. The greatest joy that you will experience in your life will be from seeking others' joy. Or put it in the negative. When you try to seek joy for yourself and only for yourself, especially at the expense of others, it's not real joy. And it can't last. It certainly can't be lasting, rooted joy. Fruitful labor does not mean that I realize my own self-actualization or I get personal peace or I have a killer Instagram or that I have a 4.0 or that I am a great rock climber or engineer or artist or whatever. Now, those are all great things. Those are good, good things. But if that's where you're trying to find your joy in what you can get out of those things, it's never going to be enough. You'll get fleeting bits of it, but it's never going to be real joy. It's never going to be keeping real joy. One of the greatest lies on college campuses today One of the most pernicious and insidious lies is that your joy is linked to your individual accomplishment. That your joy is linked to your individual accomplishment and your own self satisfaction. The truth is, the truth is that joy comes from serving others. Joy comes from knowing others, which is hard and messy work. It's hard and messy work to know others. And our own hearts and our culture tell us that we have to seek our own joy. we got to get ours, even at the expense of others. But hear me say this. The greatest joy in your life will come from seeking others' joy. Real joy comes from knowing others. Real joy comes from seeking their spiritual good and their growth. It's counterintuitive. We think, oh man, joy's a limited piece. The pie only this big. i got to get mine. Or others, I'm going to lose out. But the gospel is upside down. It tells us that joy comes from seeking others' joy, not from trying to maximize your personal happiness or accomplishments. You and I will experience far, far greater joy by loving those around us, even those in this room. Even if it comes at the expense of our own personal goals and satisfaction. RUF needs to be a community that seeks the progress of faith, that seeks the joy of those around us. So I have some questions. Ask yourself these questions. And I have to ask myself these questions. Am I willing to give up my study time so that I can have coffee and pray with a friend? Even if it means, even if it means I'm going to get a lower grade. Am I willing to commit to meeting with someone maybe in this room weekly or twice a month to read scripture or to talk about life even if it means I don't get to, for me, ride my bike as much? That stings. Because I think, oh man, I'm going to get joy out of riding my bike. Are you willing to actually be vulnerable with another person about your struggles and sins, even if it means that you have to give up some of your own autonomy and your own individuality, your own self-sufficiency? Are you willing to disciple each other, to seek the progress of each other's faith, of each other's joy, even if it means you get less of what you want most in life? That's what to live is Christ means. That's what to live as Christ means. It means to serve one another, to seek the spiritual growth and good of the community around us, knowing that that is the source of our joy, not our own agenda. How do we do that? Well, we'll see this in a couple of weeks, but I'll give you a hint. How do we actually do that? We do that by looking to Jesus Christ, who did the exact same thing. In just, just the next chapter, it tells us that Jesus willingly gave up everything. In fact, he died. He died so that we could live. In just a couple of verses, Paul writes, he says, though he was in the form of God, though he was in the form of God, perfect joy as God, he did not, con- he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, gave it all away, taking the form of a what? A servant and even dying. If Christ could do that for you, if he could do that for me, how can we not do that for those in this room, in our campus, who are desperately looking for someone to love them, to serve them? So what do we see in this passage? We see that joy comes from being rooted in Christ. It comes from being rooted in Christ and only in Christ. Not in what we can get out of life, but in Christ, What he has done for us. And that when that happens, y'all, we can't lose. We cannot lose. To live is Christ, to die is gain. That's where true joy starts, no matter where you're at. So while we're alive, which we all are alive right now, we're called to labor, we're called to seek the joy and the progress of faith of those around us. So be encouraged, first of all, that nothing can strip your joy when it's rooted in Christ. Nothing can strip your joy. But then be challenged. How can you seek the joy and the progress of faith for those around you? Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thanks for this text. Thank you for showing us how nothing can strip our joy. Not the circumstances of life, not the flash flood, nothing when we're rooted in Christ can take our joy. Father, root our joy more and more in Jesus in what He has done so that we can truly say we will never be ashamed, that we can truly say to live as Christ and to die as gain. But Father, don't let us stay there. Let us move forward as a community, as individuals, as people, to love those around us, to seek their joy more than even our own. May this be true of us for Your glory and for others' good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.